Back in the 1960s, before they had effective seizure medications, one of the ways that neurosurgeons would attempt to treat very severe seizures was to cut the corpus callosum in the brain. This is a connective tissue that sits in between the left and the right hemispheres in your brain, in the center, and connects them together and allows information to flow back and forth between the left and right sides of your brain. If you sever the corpus callosum, you can prevent seizure activity from spreading across it and spreading into larger areas of the brain and getting out of control and causing severe seizures. Interestingly, although they face some difficulties, people could actually function fairly well with their corpus callosum not being fully intact, not functioning. They could still communicate, follow instructions, take care of themselves, live a life. But there's a very interesting phenomena that happens in some people who experience damage or disconnection between the two halves of the brain. For instance, some patients have reported picking out a shirt to go about their day from their closet and finding that their left hand, which is controlled by the right hemisphere of the brain, would spontaneously start to unbutton their shirt while they were trying to button it up and pick a different one from the closet. Other people would have to fight with their non-dominant hand over things like foods to pick from the refrigerator. You know, they would pick something out and then their hand would pluck it from the other hand and put it back in the fridge and grab something else. One gentleman reported the entire left half of his body attempted to turn and take him in the direction of his ex-girlfriend's apartment. Although again, for the most part, people got along with themselves and, and functioned relatively well. There was this element in them of being of two minds. See, the brain functions as a whole, but the left and right hemispheres also do carry out some of their own independent processes and have to work sort of as a team and share information back and forth. Normally, they function fairly well together, and normally the left side of the brain is more in control and dominant over the two. But when freed from the control of the left brain, sometimes the right brain was free to exert its own preferences. Sometimes it had different preferences from what the person believed their own preferences to be, consciously. It was almost as if there were some parts of them that liked things one way, and other parts of them that wanted things to be another way. They were literally coming into conflict with themselves at an extreme level because of an extreme change in the neurological functioning of their brain. And obviously this is an extreme example, but what if there's elements of this that play out for you in your daily life? Most likely, your left and right brain are connected up and communicating back and forth with each other quite fine. But we all struggle with internal conflict. We all have emotions, problems, deeper parts of ourselves, things we can't bring ourselves to do, ways of being we can't force on ourselves. There are parts of you that want to change and parts of you that don't. What if there was a way to embrace this internal conflict? What if some of these deep, dark feelings you struggle with and parts of you are actually representatives of one of the most powerful and effective allies that you have at your disposal? And by struggling with yourself, fighting with yourself, belittling yourself, and trying to force yourself to change, you cut yourself off from the wants, needs, and supportive functions of the non-dominant hemisphere in your brain. You literally drive your own mind to resent you. Some people call it parts work. Some people call it the unconscious mind. Today on The Resilient Father, befriending the you that isn't you, but is you. 
but also sort of isn't. Isn't it? Yeah, I'm resilient. Won't get caught up in my woes. I just do it for those ten tiny fingers and toes. All right, so quick disclaimer here. My grasp of neuroscience is tenuous at best, and the examples that I share are based off of things that I have read from textbooks, books, stuff on the internet. To the best of my knowledge, what I'm going to say is largely true, or at least a useful map of how the mind works that may provide some value to you in understanding yourself. So I originally came on these ideas of split-brain patients and shifts in hemispheric brain dominance, just studying and reading interesting articles in, in psychology in university. They, you know, they just kind of they would share cases and interesting stories like this in class, and that was one that always really just stuck out at me. I thought it was a really fascinating story. Fast forward to me studying various kinds of therapy. And there were two that really stuck out at me in particular. A lot of different kinds of counseling have to do with sort of changing your thoughts, changing your patterns of behavior, learning to regulate your emotions by kind of changing the things that you tell yourself. They're very effective and they work very well. But there's two other kinds of sort of therapy or counseling. One is hypnotherapy, which I've discussed in another episode a little bit. And another type of counseling that I've been studying recently called internal family systems or IFS. And these ones really stuck out at me for their effectiveness. Whereas more traditional types of counseling, you're really trying to just talk about feelings and, and consciously change how you're thinking and behaving. IFS and hypnosis really worked in a much more kind of generally just strange and imaginative way, right? Like hypnotists would do things like having you imagine your feelings as physical objects and interacting with them. Uh, and as I've been studying psychotherapy, I've been you know, training a little bit in this internal family systems. And literally what you do is you approach your negative feelings and your negative problems. And, and, you know, people will say a part of me just won't let me be happy. And you say, okay, well, let's, let's talk to that part of yourself. And, you know, it sounds so crazy, but literally like you get people to talk to this part of themselves. You ask a questions, Hey, like what, what's going on? Like, why, why, why am I not allowed to be happy? And they will answer. You can literally get people talking to their own mind, talking to their own feelings in their mind, and get answers as if it's coming from somebody else. The goal of this usually is to find kind of the root issue. What is this feeling? What is this part of you that won't let you do something, won't let you feel something, won't let you relax? What is it trying to accomplish? Is it trying to stop something bad from happening? Is it trying to, you know, prevent a certain um, fear of yours from coming true? A lot of times this part of you feels you know, really unheard. A lot of times we wrestle with these feelings because they don't feel good. They're inconvenient to us. We want them gone. And, you know, it's almost, again, like invalidating yourself. It's almost like, you know, if your friend came to you for help or came to you with a struggle and you didn't want to deal with it and you told them to go away, they get, they get sort of upset. They get sort of hurt. Um, your own mind is bringing problems and concerns to you on the regular. And a lot of times we just say, go away and we sort of stuff it down. And, and again, literally like you're, you're almost sort of hurting your own self, your own thoughts. What seems to help people is embracing them. 
you try to find common ground with your feelings with these parts of yourself and their goals. You try to embrace them. You allow them to be there, as I've discussed before. You can literally talk back and forth with them. And when you're able to sort of empathize with that part of yourself and why you feel a certain way, a lot of times that pain, that rigidity, that struggle will let go because you've gotten the message. You've, you've allowed yourself to hear from this other part of you that has this deeper need or issue and you sort of come together and it's incredibly soothing. That's, that's what struck me with it was, you know, as a therapist, a lot of these sort of cognitive techniques work very, very well and can be very effective. But some issues people would bring into sessions were just so sticky and such a struggle for them. And, and just working with them, talking about it, just it did not feel like enough. The other way that I found that seemed to work well with very rigid or difficult to handle emotions is imagination. Techniques used a lot in hypnosis and hypnotherapy. So for example, you can imagine your feelings as, say, an energy and imagine, you know, sort of breathing them in and blowing them away as smoke. Or imagine feelings as a color and change the color inside your body. And sometimes that's enough to help people feel differently. A lot of times when someone is extremely anxious about something, they'll realize that they're actually holding an, an image or a mental picture of a feared situation. And, you know, they have a literal mental image in their head of them, you know, brutally failing or being humiliated and laughed at by people, you know, whatever it is, whatever scary thing you're, you're terrified of. Sometimes there's like a vivid picture just kind of floating in your head of, of this awful thing that's that's going to go down and sometimes recognizing these sort of images that you're carrying inside yourself and working with them changing them can also be incredibly therapeutic and incredibly calming hypnotists uh, also sometimes can be observed talking to the unconscious mind quote unquote they talk a lot about this idea that using imagery communicates to sort of a deeper part of ourself this unconscious mind that runs the show in the background for us handles a lot of sort of the day-to-day -day tasks emotional processing control over stress I should point out here some people might be feeling a little bit skeptical because the idea of the left and the right brain being completely separate and different has been debunked, right? The whole brain is is always active almost all the time, and you need pretty much your whole brain to do a lot of different things. But also, the left and right hemispheres of the brain do have slightly different functions and skill sets and things that they emphasize in neurotypical people. So broadly speaking, if you look at the specializations of the left and the right brain, usually the left brain is more specialized towards language, linguistic processing, linear time, logic, whereas the right brain is more involved in sort of what they would call holistic processing. It uses a lot more imagination, imagery, intuition. It tends to be involved heavily in maintaining a sense of self and regulates a lot of emotional processes. And one of the many psychological theories of ill mental health or people struggling to regulate their emotions, one of them is that the logical linguistic language processing sides of the brain have a hard time connecting up with the imaginative, holistic, deeper, knowing, feeling side of the brain. And the incomplete information processing between the two leads to conflict and distress. 
A lot of times people view this sort of emotional, intuitive side of themselves as a bit of a liability. And sometimes it can be, right? Emotions can be very extreme. And some of the connections that are negative experiences can draw between our past and our present moments can be very extreme. So it can be easy to reject that and feel like it's more of a pain and try to just focus on controlling yourself and staying in this sort of in-control linguistic world that most of us spend our time in. But our intuition, our holistic thinking side of ourself has a lot of value. There's a lot of power and strength in the emotional understanding that we have that our right brain generates for us. There's a lot of ability to connect with other people, understand other people, understand ourselves, understand our feelings, experience joy and positive emotions, come up with insights, unique ways of solving problems, and best of all, just feeling less miserable. And I think it's interesting because there's echoes of this in many of the themes of my past episodes. You know, we've talked about things like self-compassion, how beating yourself up often makes you more miserable, controlling yourself makes you more miserable, and coming to yourself with empathy and understanding for what you're going through often makes you feel better. Having empathy and understanding for the emotional parts of yourself makes you feel better. We've also talked about the inability to accept emotions or the extreme rejection of emotions in yourself as a you know, critical factor in maintaining psychological distress. Again, not even having to force yourself to feel your feelings, but just allowing them to be there, allowing yourself to recognize their existence and the pain or the unmet needs that they represent. You know who I would say nailed it? and has consistently nailed it, is Disney and Pixar. You know, they make some really great emotional movies. Some of you might have seen Inside Out, where the various uh, emotions fight for control of a little girl's head. And as the internal conflict grows, she becomes more and more depressed. In the end, what saves everyone is recognizing that sadness in her reflected an unmet need. She needed more support and to reach out to others. And when she acknowledged the purpose of the sadness and the need of the sadness and worked with it, she was at peace and felt better. And this idea of the right brain specifically is sort of just my personal theory. But more broadly speaking, the idea that there are parts of us, these sort of conflicted parts of ourselves that have different goals and different needs than kind of our, you know, main self, quote unquote is pervasive in a lot of different types of psychology, and again, specifically this internal family systems, which is an evidence-based psychotherapy. It works. And uh, like I said, it works It works very, very well. When you start doing it, it seems like kind of a crazy concept because you're literally just asking your own brain questions and waiting for an answer, but you might be surprised. You might get a very clear answer and be able to actually kind of dialogue with yourself. You really want to try to embrace your own mind and and work with the stuff that's going on in there instead of rejecting it, fighting it, trying to control it. Now, if you're someone who's dealing with a lot of very extreme internal conflict, uh, you know, I might recommend seeing an actual therapist who specializes in this rather than trying to do it on your own. This type of counseling is growing in popularity. Again, it's called internal family systems. You can probably find someone who specializes in it fairly easily. Don't be afraid to embrace yourself. Hang out with yourself. 
You are your own best friend. You are the most important support system that you have. No matter how lonely you are, you are always there standing by your side. Another interesting thing that I've come across in counseling recently I've seen be very, very effective is sometimes people have a lot of negative feelings or emotions that remind them of past memories, times when they themselves were much younger and hurting. And if it's bad enough, sometimes people will say, you know, like, I'm around this this you know parent that hurt me and I feel like I'm my 12-year-old self again. And, uh, you know, there's another example of kind of these these parts of ourselves coming into play and you know what what sometimes people can do is you could literally go back to you know imagining yourself as you were when you were you know this this young person struggling with whatever it was and you can again bring your adult self into that and approach your past self with compassion understanding and support and again so soothing you'd be you'd be shocked at how quickly people can sort of resolve these pains and and past hurts by being able to be there for themselves and and support themselves again if you're thinking about going back and and confronting some some very serious issues or some intense trauma i was just doing that with a therapist rather than trying to do it on your own but just this idea of being there for yourself standing in your own corner not beating yourself up, belittling yourself, fighting yourself, trying to understand yourself and support yourself like you would a friend. If to befriend yourself. Take care of yourself, Dad.